Proverbs 18:21. It says, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The title of my message tonight is Speak Life. Speak Life. Because it is so vital and essential to our future that we speak life. Uh, before I get into the bulk of my message, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on me because I need to, in, as a lead-in to what I'm going to talk about in a minute. So uh, for those of you who don't know my background, I grew up on a farm in, south, in southeastern Minnesota. I'm the youngest of four children. I don't think I was spoiled, even though they always say the youngest is spoiled. Sean is the youngest of four kids, too. They always say two youngest should not marry each other because they'll both be spoiled. Have you ever heard that? It's worked out for us. But So at a young age, growing up on a farm, I was expected to work. Even though I was a girl and I was the youngest, I did not get out of work. I didn't have to work as hard as my brother, typically, I will say that. But I was expected to pick rock. I remember being out in the field with our entire family at age six, seven, picking rock and throwing it up on the wagon and being out there in the hot sun all day long. I remember as soon as I was old enough to drive, I was expected to mow the lawn. And then my brother got relieved from that duty so that he could help my dad more on the farm. And I remember as soon as I was old enough, um, I, I was expected to drive the tractor for the guys that were baling hay. And my dad is, has a very strong leadership personality. I get that from him. And I remember going through, I was either driving the wagon at an older age for the rock pickers or for baling hay. And I remember my dad coming up and he'd say, aim, look back at your rows. They need to be straighter. You know, and he was always very meticulous. I expect when you come down here that your rows are going to look straighter than that. You see your tracks? Next time it's going to be straighter. You know, he was very meticulous and a very strong leader personality. But I learned a spirit of excellence from him because of that. And I appreciate that. And so, you know, I remember uh, just being around the farm life continually. I thank God I didn't have to bale hay too often. I only had to do that once or twice when my brother broke his leg. And fortunately, you know, he recovered quickly, and he was able to get back baling hay, and I did not have to do that again because that was a really hard job for those of you who have baled hay, doing that a lot. It's tiring. So anyway... You know, I remember just growing up on the farm. I started age four or five going to the sale barn with my dad to buy cattle. That wasn't work. It was fun. But just being around that whole farm environment, I, I grew up in that. And I remember when I was old enough, probably around age 13, my mom, who worked full time, she uh, asked me if I would start cooking meals for my dad and his hired men on the farm during planting season and harvest season. And so I, w I would make meals for them, and his hired men had high expectations. He usually had about three, sometimes four of them, and they expected a full meal, and I mean a full meal, meat and potatoes and um, salads with it, and they always expected pie and ice cream for dessert. Yeah. And it had to be homemade pie. I could not buy the, we could not buy the crust because they knew if it was a store-bought crust. And so I was doing this day in and day out. I remember by year two, I started getting smart Right before harvest, I said to my mom, I'm tired of making pies every day. I'm just going to go. My grandparents had an apple orchard, and I went and took an apple picker, and I picked a whole bunch of apples. And over the process of three days, I made almost 50 pies. And I thought, I'm going to have these in the freezer so that I don't have to deal with this. So I was used to work. I, I was used to, you know, demands put on me like that. So 
that was my childhood overall. I would say I had a very good childhood, you know. I had a few bumps along the way of, you know, uh, different challenges that I may face from time to time. But overall, I had a good childhood. I enjoy, I learned to enjoy working. You know, I enjoyed that. And one of my biggest memories from childhood was how positive and encouraging my mom was. As a kid, if someone would compliment my sister or me on our appearance as a little girl because she dresses up for church or little different things like that, if someone say, oh, your daughter's so cute, she would always say, and yes, and what's most important is that they're pretty on the inside. And she was always saying, what's most important is that they're pretty on the inside. And so I grew up hearing my mom, you know, she was always polite, thank you, and what's most important is she's pretty on the inside. Hearing that it's, it's important to be pretty on the inside because that's what my mom always emphasized is that your inside is way more important than your outward appearance. And I praise God she taught me that. And she was always so encouraging. And I prayed as a teenager that I would marry a man that would be as positive and encouraging as my mom. And I knew very few people that were as, as positive and encouraging as she was. And when I met Sean, I wouldn't say he was to the degree in that that my mom was. Um, no, he won't mind me. It gets good, okay? It gets good. That wasn't an insult. I'm just saying I had kind of forgotten that I ever prayed that. Sean was a positive person. He was a very fun person, and he was encouraging. But my mom, for those of you who know her well, she is off the charts. She can take somebody who is just in a foul mood, and I mean foul mood, and have them smiling and just having a, a wonderful conversation with her within 15 minutes. Few people have that kind of ability. I mean, she can cause, people will just want to sit in her presence just to be around her. You know, I have people on a regular basis say to, who get to know my mom some say, your mom is just such a delight to be around. Well, do you want to know why she's a delight? Because when you come into her presence, she makes you feel good about yourself. And, and people love that about her. And so that was one of the things I remember in our, you know, in our dating and engagement time, um, specifically in our engagement time, Sean was spending a fair amount of time at my, at my house with my parents and that kind of thing. And I remember it was, I think, towards the end of our first year of marriage, Sean said this to me one day. He said, you know, your mom is so encouraging. He said, every time I'm in her presence, she just always makes me feel good about myself. And he said, I have been studying her and watching her. He said, I want to learn to be like that. And he said, every time we're with her, he said, I, I, he said, I pay special attention to the words she says. And he said, I, I watch her mannerisms because he said, people feel good in her presence. And he said, I want to have that kind of positive effect on people like she does. Well, I would say he succeeded. What do you think? And, And, you know, it was sometime after that that I was reading in the book of Proverbs, and I came across Proverbs 16.3, and it says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. And it was just like the Spirit of God just quickened my heart and said, That's exactly what Sean did when he was studying your mother. He, in a spirit of wisdom, he chose to teach his mouth how to speak to people. He was seeking wisdom, and he chose to, to teach his mouth because he was purposing to watch her. And he chose to teach his mouth how to speak to people. It was a conscious effort that he made. 
And it says that a wise person will do that and add learning to his lips. So he's trained himself through watching the right people to be an encourager to a higher level than he was when I first met him. And and he was good at that when I first met him. But now he's at a very high level like my mother is in that area. And I I said all of what I just said about my background and encouragement and all that to say that this week I woke up to a dream uh, on Monday morning, I believe it was, of myself going through a checkout line. And um, on a regular basis, the Lord will give Sean and I dreams about things that may be prophetic or symbolic. And we know it's a dream from the Lord typically when we have it between 4.30 and 5 a.m. because that's oftentimes the Lord, the time that the Lord wakes us up. And sometimes we will have a very vivid dream right before we wake up. And often when we wake up, it's right on the nose of like 4.45 or 4.30 or 5 o'clock you know, open our eyes and um, look at the time, and it's one of those right in the nose. So on Monday morning, I woke up to this, right, as I wake up from this dream, I look at the clock, it's 4.45 on the dot, and I thought, I guess it's time to get up. I thought I was sleeping in today. Monday's my day off, you know, but God had other plans for me that morning. And so I woke up to this dream, and this is what the dream was. I was going through a checkout line at a store. There were three lanes, and I was, prob- I, I was back in one of the lanes a little bit. And there was a man in the lane that I was in, there was a man who was checking people out, uh, middle-aged. And he had a very loud voice. And I think he liked it that way. And there was a woman in, uh, who was right in front of him. And she had a son who I would guess was, you know, three, four years old, something like that. And the little boy was acting up a little bit. You know, he wasn't acting like the perfect child. You know, he wasn't obeying his mom quite like he should have been or could have been. And the man looks at the mom and with a booming voice so that everyone in these three aisles hears, he said, you know, that's the problem with kids these days. They're all foolish. They're just foolish. And he, he just had the, and he's checking her out and, he, and he's giving her a piece of his mind, of his philosophy on children, you know. And he says, they're just all foolish. And he said, and you know what the problem is? They're not farm-raised. He said, when kids are farm-raised, they know how to work. And he said, if, if, kids, if all the kids were farm-raised nowadays, they'd know how to work, and then they wouldn't be foolish. But I tell you what, every kid these days is foolish. They're just foolish. And he just kept going on, and all the people that are in these other lines are kind of looking at the guy. You know, and the mom's embarrassed, and she gets out of there as fast as she could. And I got up to the man, and I had our three children with me. Now, remember, this is all a dream. But I got up to the man to check out, and I had our three kids. And our kids were standing there not doing anything wrong. They just all stood right next to me. And I will say this. Our kids are at the age now where they do stand well next to me at the checkout, and they aren't pulling candy off the shelf saying, can I have this? Because those are things we dealt with when they were younger. Now, have my kids always been perfect in checkout lines? No. I remember times when uh, all of our kids, you know, with every one of them having challenges in checkout lines. You know, they put that stinking candy right there to cause parents torment. That's my philosophy about it. I mean, of all things. Why do you have to do that to mom and moms and dads' stores? Seriously. It's like, do you like scenes in your store? Okay. And, and no, they don't. But they know that most kids win. And that's why they put it there. Because most parents just give up on the battle. And, and just to get the kid to be quiet, they buy him the candy. 
which is not the right answer, parents, just so you know. And so I remember, you know, even Courtney as a little girl, I remember her at two years old, and there was this ride-on toy, and I didn't have any coins with me, and she was just crying, I want the ride-on the toy, you know, and, and Courtney, she, she's not that type of personality, she very quickly grew out of that, but kids at a certain age, sometimes they'll just get in the flesh and and act like that, you know, and, and it's a training process, and so we've trained our kids to act polite at the grocery store, and we've trained them to stand by us, and now our kids are 6, 10, and 14, and they don't do those things, but there was a training process, and it was it was fairly quick because our our kids learned, you know, we, we had parenting teachings that we followed that we learned how to handle those things quickly, and it was typically dealt with within, a, you know, three months with each of them, and rarely did we have relapses because of following the right parenting teaching, but or them doing that anymore. And so I say that to say, I get up, now going back to my dream, okay? I get up to the man, our three kids are standing next to me, and the man sees I have children, isn't even observing how they're acting, and he just starts in on me. And he says, I tell you what, just like I said, all kids nowadays are foolish, and the problem is they're not farm-raised. And typically I will not be in people's face, (laughs) especially if they're attacking me. I will let someone attack me to my face and typically stand there with a smile on my face. And, you know, I praise God at age 15 to 17, I worked at a veterinary clinic and I got chewed out by some big, tall, deep voice farmers. And I just learned to take it, you know, because it was my job to just make them happy and sell them their medication for their animals and get them out the door. And so I've learned to be yelled at by people and just get through it with thick skin. But, and so I typically will, will be very calm in those situations. And I was calm in my dream in this situation. But, you know, I've learned the power of words and the importance of speaking life. And, you know, I've taught our children, you know, if you're around somebody, especially if it's somebody who's close to us, and they speak something inappropriate over any of you kids, I don't want you to address it to their face because it's not our job to correct people. But when you walk away from them, I want you to whisper when you're out of their earshot, I cancel those words in Jesus' name. That is not true of me. And even, I I remember once, my mom, uh, she said, Amy, what have you taught Courtney to do? And I said, what do you mean? And it, it was when we first moved back here, and Whitney was maybe like one or two. And she said, Whitney had done something, and she, my mom made some statement over her, and my mom hadn't learned a lot of teachings about words and that type of thing, and she said, I made some confession to Whitney, not realizing it was a, an inappropriate confession, according to your daughter, but she said something like, oh, you poor little thing, and she said, I saw Courtney turn, and she said, in Jesus' name, Whitney will never be poor. <laughs> She's rich in Jesus' name. Jesus died to make her rich in every way. (laughs) And and it's funny, but I praise God for a little girl that knew to do that. And, And granted, my mom wasn't speaking that over Whitney in a bad way. It was an expression she learned for years. But sometimes expressions we learn are not good. And so, you know, I don't believe in rebuking people publicly, you know, uh, typically, but this man was in my face and speak. Now going back to my dream, okay? Going back to the dream. Sorry, I don't mean to get on rabbit trails. So we're back at the dream, 
and it, this man starts in on me. And I looked at him, and with a firm voice, I looked in his eyes, and I said, I will have you know my children are not foolish. They are very wise children, and they are not farm-raised either. And I said, I understand the value of being raised on a farm because I was raised on a farm, and I did learn to work on a farm, and that is true. Often there is a benefit to being farm-raised, but my children have been raised in the city, and I, my husband and I have taught them to work even though we live in a city. And we have taught them to be kind to people. We have taught them to be honoring of people and to obey. And I would appreciate it if you would not speak words of death and cursing over my children. They are wise. They are not foolish. And the man just looked at me kind of surprised because he obviously wasn't expecting to be corrected. And that was just my dream. And then I woke up from the dream. And I just, as, as it was coming to, I looked at my clock and so I was 4.45 and I was just, I said, Lord, what was that about? You know, why did I have that dream? And immediately my mind went to this thought. Years ago, I was reading a book. I, don't, I apologize, I don't remember what it was. But I was reading a book, and in the book, it said that uh, a large-scale study was done of inmates. And of the inmates, 80% of them in this specific study said that they had parents that told them on a regular basis growing up that they were stupid, they would amount to nothing, and many of them even said that their parents said, you'll end up incarcerated someday. You'll end up in prison someday. So all of these inmates, 80, uh, of all of them interviewed in the study, 80% of them said they remembered either mom or dad, or if they lived with a grandparent, a grandparent, speaking that over them. Well, it is because our words, according to the scripture, Proverbs 18, 21, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, there are other versions that talk about actually saying those who love it will eat its fruit for good or for evil, for good or for bad, based on how you use your tongue. So it's very important to remember these things, that if someone says something to you or to your children or whatever the case may be, you don't have to do this in front of them. In fact, I would encourage you not to because people will think you're a spiritual fruitcake. But privately, and, and I say that also, not that I'm concerned about someone thinking I'm spiritual fruitcake because, you know, but I am saying I don't want to give people reasons to not like Christianity, thinking, well, that person's just so confrontational because there are a lot of Christians that just feel it's their responsibility to tell everybody what their opinion is. And you know what? That is not helping God reach that person in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says that it's the love of God and the goodness of God that will draw man to repentance. And so our job is to encourage people in the Lord, to show people God's goodness, not to be telling them our opinion on everything or correcting them if they say something that's unscriptural. That, that's not our job. That's the, the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's not ours. And so we can pray for people, but we don't need to be correcting people on every single thing. You know, and, and oftentimes the Lord, most of the time, I found that the Lord won't lead me to do that. And so with that, our job, though, is to cast down words. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So this applies to words, um, this 
also, but this specific scripture is talking about thoughts, that if you have a thought that doesn't line up with the word of God, that you should cast it down because it doesn't, uh, if it's a thought that it exalts itself against the knowledge of God or the word of God, it's important that you take time and say, even out loud, whisper to yourself if you're alone or just say it in your mind, I cast that thought down in the name of Jesus. I won't receive that thought. That's not who I am. Because you are who God created you to be once you receive Jesus Christ into your heart. Now, if you had someone speak negative or insult over you as you were growing up, it's important that if you've never done this today, take time in, in your prayer time to say, all those words that were spoken over me by so-and-so, I cast them down in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. They will no longer produce fruit in my life for evil. From this day forward, I declare the word of God and the promises of God are true for me, and that is what will produce fruit in my life. And it is important for us to be speaking these things because words are like seeds, and if they keep getting spoken and keep getting watered, then they produce a harvest unless they're canceled. So it's our position to cancel them. Now, I want to encourage you that if you've had words spoken over you, it's important that you forgive whoever did that. Because holding a grudge is not going to help you get free from it. And you know, anyone who spoke that way over you, it's most likely that their parents did it to them. Or somebody did that to them and they did not know better. It was the way they were trained. And so if being you're here, you're learning this teaching right now, that means God is giving you the opportunity to, to break that generation of whatever negativity has been passed on in your family. That you get to be the generation to pray that off and stop that. When, when, I'm going to address children real quickly. Children have training times. The Bible talks about that, that children go through training. It's our responsibility as parents to train especially younger children in certain things. And when your child does something that you don't approve of, it is very important to, number one, yes, address the issue. And there may be consequences um, some type of consequences that you should take, especially if it's willful disobedience. But most important uh, in following up with that, it is extremely important that you speak life over that child, even though they made a bad choice. Now, I was thinking about myself. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people think because Sean and I are pastors that we just were these sweet little kids growing up and just Wow, you know, a lot of times people see an adult that's walking with the Lord. His sister's laughing really hard. Um, a lot of times people see, you know, somebody walking with the, Lord, with the Lord, and they think, oh, this person probably just grew up like this. They were walking with the Lord. And I thank God I did start walking with the Lord at a young age. But even when I really became committed to the Lord at age 14. But I think of, you know, especially my young years, I, I told you earlier, my dad is a leader. My dad is a very strong leadership personality, and I definitely have that, um, a strong leadership personality, and that showed up in me at a very young age. And children that have leadership personalities can take more time to groom because they typically do one of two things. They will either test the limits of whoever their leader is to see if that person will let them be in charge. And little children will do that with their parents. They will keep testing the limits to see if mom and dad will let me rule the roost. And then the other thing that young leaders do, 
uh, is that they, uh, the, the leadership gifting or leadership personality, whatever you want to call it, is this. They see problems and they are proactive in fixing them. And so if that is by nature someone's personality, they see the problem and they may go to fix it but may have the wrong fix if they're an immature leader. And so I was no different. And as a young child, I had things that my parents could have thought, she is so naughty. You know, they could have said that over me, but my mom never said that over me. You know, I would do things that I'm sure my mom and dad thought, what is she thinking? You know, I remember one time my parents went on a trip, and they took my older two siblings. I think they were going to Washington, D.C. or something and doing some kind of, you know, tour educationally for my older siblings. And I was five, I believe, and my brother next in line to me was seven. And I remember um, my parents had... Um, some relatives of ours stay with us. They were actually um, my cousins. They were older, though. They were, like, in their uh, 30s. And so their d- children were our second cousins or second cousins once removed, whatever you call it. But anyway, they were staying with my brother Ross and I. And they had a our, – our cousins had ch- children, and they had a daughter that was about uh, 11 months younger than me, I think. And – So she and I were just, I don't know where her parents were at this moment, but she and I were just hanging out near our kitchen, in our kitchen. We were having some, you know, my parents had bought a bunch of food before they left. They were going to be gone for a week. And, you know, my parents had snacks for us. There were some Doritos and Cheetos and things like that. And so my cousin Kendra and I are hanging out in the kitchen, just eating some chips. She's four, I'm five. And I'm a leader. And I'm a Leaders look for problems and solve them. That's what we do, you know. And so I'm looking around the kitchen, and I see my oldest brother's large fish tank. And it's he had a lot of fish. He had just a a huge affinity for fish. And he has a whole bunch of beautiful fish in this, I would guess it's about a 10-gallon fish tank. And I looked at Kendra. We, we pulled our chairs up to the side of the table, and we're standing on those chairs, and we're watching the fish swim, and we're eating our chips. We watch them for a while, and I looked at her, and I said, Kendra, those fish look hungry. And she said, yeah, they do. And I still remember this to this day. It's one of my vivid childhood memories. And I said, you know what? I think, I don't know if they've been fed. I think we need to feed them. And she nods at me. She thinks it's a good idea. And, you know, we're wondering what to feed him. And I said, I think they'd like chips. And so she agrees with me. And so we start feeding the fish chips. And we start putting our Doritos and our Cheetos, and we had one other kind, in there. And we probably got half a bag of each one dumped in there to the point that you could not see the fish anymore. (laughs) And... All of a sudden, my brother Ross walks in, and he gives me this look, and he said, what are you doing, Amy? And I said, we're feeding the fish. They were hungry. And he said, that's not how you feed fish. (laughs) And he came over, and I think he actually got Kendra's father, and they rescued all of my brother's fish, praise God, and not one of them was lost, if I remember correctly, because they came in in just the nick of time. But I say that to say that, You know, I did some things that could cause my mom to think, what is the matter with that girl? 
you know, and I mean, in Sunday school, seriously, I was a torment to my Sunday school teachers. My daughter is hearing me say this. I don't know if this is a good thing, but I would talk. We had this ledge over the doorway at our church, and we had this nice guy who was our Sunday school teacher, and I really liked him, but I liked, if things weren't lively enough, I liked to make them more fun because I'm not just a leader. I have some otter, too, of, you know, the spice things up, like to have fun. And so before the teacher would come into the room, I would talk to several of the boys in the classroom that I knew I could influence, you know, that I knew that they were kind of like, just, yeah, what should we do? And I said, you know, you guys should hide up there and jump down and scare the teacher when he comes in. And so they're like, yeah, let's do that. And so they do that. And I sit at the table looking like a little angel. And they jump down and scare the teacher and they got in trouble. And, you know, and I look at the things I used to do as a kid. And I think my mom never once called me naughty. And she had what a lot of people would say good reason to. And hopefully you can all look at me the same again after telling you those stories. (laughs) But I say that to say my mom would look at me, and after I got my consequences, and let me tell you, I got some consequences. You know, I got more correction than all my siblings. I'm quite sure of it. But (laughs) after she, uh, you know, gave me whatever consequences I had, she would say, Amy, you are kind. Or she'd say, Amy, you are smart. You don't do things like this. Amy, you are kind. You don't do things like this. And she kept, she wouldn't say, Amy, that was naughty. What were you thinking? You know, she, she wouldn't speak the ill over me of what I'd done. She would t- always tell me, Amy, that was not okay behavior. And this will have consequences, you know. And, and she was firm with her consequences. So was my father. But after they gave me the correction, they told me the moral reason of why this was wrong, then she would affirm to me and say, you are kind, Amy. God made you to be kind. Or she would just make some positive statement over me, and I trust you to act that way. And so she kept speaking that life into me, and I praise God for a parent who does that. You know, I remember Sean and I, when we first got married, we had a neighbor And her three kids were quite a challenge. I remember she had a lot of challenges with them, and she was always frustrated. And I remember one day being over at her house, and she had pictures of her kids. And her oldest one, who was three at the time, she had labeled with the words. She actually had this on her refrigerator. Over her picture, it said, brat. And there were other just unkind sayings over the kids' pictures, and the mom thought this was funny. And you know what? It's producing death and cursing, and parents don't even realize that. And so, you know, if you see someone like that, just be praying for them that they'll get a revelation of this because it is very powerful, especially coming from a parent and especially coming from a spouse. The Bible talks about faith in Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Can we put that up on the screen? It says, for assuredly I say to you, now this is Jesus and he's speaking these words, and he's, Jesus says, I say this to you. Whoever says, now count the word says after that first say. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, second time, will be done, he will have whatever he says, third time. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. There is the word five, say five times in those two verses, and two of them Jesus is referring to him saying right now, and and then the other three are he's instructing us to say. 
Now, I want you to notice that in this, how many times is there the word believe? Twice. Now, one of them, he's telling the people to believe, and then the other one, he's saying, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And so in the part where he's actually directly speaking at us, he says three times to say it. So I want you to notice he actually says to say it more than he says to believe it. And I want to say this. Whatever you keep saying, you will eventually believe it. Whatever you keep saying, you will eventually believe it. That's why it's so important that you be saying the word of God continually. Because even if there's doubt, in, I remember Joel Osteen's mother, Dodie. I don't know if any of you have heard her testimony. She was healed of uh, terminal cancer. She was turning yellow. And I remember in, uh, hearing in her testimony, we've heard her give her testimony in person. Uh, she said that one of the things that happened with her is she said she kept having these thoughts in her head like, what if I don't get healed? What if I die? And she said to her husband, John, who was a pastor, she said, I keep having doubt thoughts. What about that? And he said, uh, check your heart. He said, even though the thoughts are coming at your head, he said, check your heart. Do you really believe in your heart God is able to heal you and that he has already done it through Jesus Christ? And she said, yes, I do. And he said, so would you say that th- those Um, thoughts, are they coming from your head or coming from your heart? And she said, they're coming from my head. And he said, exactly, because faith begins in the heart. So he said, you have to take the faith in your heart and push it up into your head by what you're saying. And so just keep speaking life and keeping speaking the word and keep praying the word because there's great power in praying the word. Most people call things that are as though they are rather than calling things that be not as though they are, which is what the Bible tells us to do. How do you do this? A lot of times people, you know, if they have sickness in their body, they'll say things like, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. That's not what this means. It means, it doesn't mean denying reality. You know, I've heard um, one of our mentors in the faith, Kenneth Hagin Sr., he said, I've He said, I one time even, you know, someone didn't have the money to fill a prescription. And he said, I paid for it for them because that was where their faith was at. And he said, if that's where, uh, he said, if healing isn't manifesting yet, he said, you're not not in faith because you're taking medication for it. But as you take the medication, every time you take it, you are to say to yourself a scripture, whatever the Lord puts on your heart that is your healing scripture, whatever scripture has rhema for you, if you haven't had the healing manifest, you, when you take the medication, you say to yourself, whatever that scripture is on, on healing that the Lord has told you to say it. So every, and then morning and afternoon and night, be declaring that over whatever part of your body, be declaring that scripture. Now, the same will work for um, addictions, we have a, uh, someone sitting in this room right now who, some time ago, Sean gave a message on the importance of speaking life and blessing. And this person, in fact, there are two of them in this room, this person uh, was a smoker, and they did not want to be a smoker. And Sean, in that message, said, if, if you have a smoking addiction, you're wanting to quit that for health and longevity, he said, every time you take a puff, I want you to say out loud, nicotine has no hold on me. The power of God is manifest in my life and has removed, removed all nicotine addiction. 
something to that effect. I don't remember his exact words. But he said, you know, keep saying, nicotine has no hold on me. Nicotine has no hold on me. The power of God is manifested in my life and has broken all addiction. And so he said, just keep doing that, and the desire will actually go away. And two people in this room actually told us, and this was, I would say, four or five years ago, that they both did that every time they would take a puff. And I don't remember, I think it was between, for maybe one of them, two to three weeks, and the other one, three to four weeks. And they said the desire completely left to smoke, and they just one day just didn't pick up another cigarette and just had no drive desire for nicotine anymore. There is power in your words. We have the power to speak life and blessing or death and cursing, and we want to speak life. Now, this is what I'm supposed to close with. 1 Peter 3.10, it says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. I was reading a book recently, and uh, it was talking about that many Christians don't understand that when we are in prayer, that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, talks about the throne of God. And it talks about... Uh, decrees, basically judgment in heaven. And, you know, I'm not going to go to all the scriptures because I just had the thought before coming up to to close with this. So I don't have all the scriptures for you, but you can look them up just by uh, putting in some of the words. But the Bible in the New Testament says, judge not lest you be judged. Does it not? Why would it say judge not lest you be judged? It says that because if you judge others, then you're going to reap a harvest of others judging you. Now, most of us look at that as, yes, if we judge other people, then other people here on earth are going to judge us. And that's true. But what does the Bible call Satan? It calls him the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Now, if you look at the book of Job, there are things in there that basically talk about God and Satan speaking to God about Job, correct? But things about Satan being the accuser of the brethren, that's in the New Testament. And judge not lest you be judged is in the New Testament. And so I was reading this book, and this person who wrote the book, and I don't even remember the name of the book, um, or the author at the moment, but the person who wrote the book, he basically used a whole bunch of these scriptures, uh, like a bunch of scriptures, both Old and New Testament, and he was telling about a challenge that he had that his son and his son's, his daughter-in-law had divorced. They had a child, and they had been in ministry. Um, The daughter-in-law, you know, um, got custody of the child, and he said it was very strange. His son just went into a depression wouldn't work, and wasn't even fighting for the child to have any custody in the child's life. And he said he kept praying for a period of time for his son, saying, Lord, I don't understand why he is, you know, he goes to work, comes home, and just sits and watch video games and does nothing. And why is he not fighting for his child to at least see his child some? Why is he not serving you like he anymore? Why? I mean, maybe he went to church once a week. I don't know. But he wasn't serving God before he had been passionately serving God. And he kept saying, Lord, why is he acting lazy? Why is he watching these video games? Why is he doing this? And he, he said, The man writing this book, he said, I kept praying for my son and praying for my son and praying for my son. And he said, I prayed, Lord, help him stop being lazy. Lord, help him to get his act together. Lord, help him to pay attention to his child. Lord, help him to fight for his child. So these were the kind of prayers he was praying. Lord, help him do this. Help him do this. 
And he said that one day, as he was reading the word and praying, the, the Holy Spirit just imparted this thought to him and said, you need to realize that when you come to pray for your son, that you, how you need to handle that, and you need to handle it like a courtroom. And you need to understand that Satan is still the accuser of the brethren in the New Testament church. And he said the Holy Spirit just, it wasn't an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit spoke to this heart and, and said to him, every time you say, Lord, why is my son being so lazy? Why is my son just sitting and watching video games all day? Why in everything you say that your son is doing negative, you are giving, you are judging your son as being lazy, as being a poor parent, even though these things may be factual in your eyes. As you speak those words, you're actually judging him and you're giving Satan fuel to keep your son in bondage. And your prayers aren't helping because you aren't praying the word over your son. You're praying that he would stop doing a bunch of negative things. And just praying he'll stop doing a bunch of negative things doesn't get the job done at the throne of grace. You're not asking me for grace. You're just complaining about your son to me. And he said, as you just come and complain about your son to me, you aren't going to get answered prayer. You need to come to the throne of grace, and you need to repent for the th judgment that you've had towards your son and the things you've said about him that have given the devil fuel to accuse. And, and he said, you know, Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, he can come and say, see, even his own parents saying this about him. And, and you know, it, are not judging someone who's wronged us when we forgive them and when we go to the throne of grace and ask God, what did Jesus do on the cross? He said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what to do. Jesus didn't even judge the people who put him on the cross. And we're supposed to follow his example. And so this applies to a lot of people in here right now for your children or those listening online. I just sense that as well as other things. And so he said, come to the throne of grace and picture it as a courtroom. And Jesus is your high priest. And you come to the throne of grace and you repent for anything you've said about that person that's been judgmental. You ask God to forgive you and you cancel the fruit from those words. And he said, then you bring my word to me of the promises of God over that situation, and you pray my word and decree it and say, Lord, thank you that I have this, that my son has this now. And, and so this man said that very day, he did that. He said, Lord, I repent for everything that I've said against my son. I repent for calling him lazy. I repent for insinuating he was a poor parent. I, I repent for these uh, complaining about him video gaming. Lord, I repent for all that, and I cancel my words in Jesus' mighty name. And, Father, I pray now at the throne of grace for my son. I pray for forgiveness upon him. I pray that you'd have mercy upon him. I, I pray, Father, that you would strengthen him by your spirit. And I don't remember what scriptures exactly he used, but he had scriptures of power that he spoke over his son. A good one would be, thank you, Lord, that you have not given my son a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind to be an excellent parent and to get back into ministry. You know, so he had certain scriptures he was speaking and praying over his son. And then at the end of that, he, he said he, he felt the release to stop praying. And he said two days later, he got a call from his son. And he said, Dad, I don't know what happened. No, this had gone on for, I think, two or three years. He said, Dad, I don't know what happened. But two days ago, all of a sudden, there was just a change. 
And he said, it was like I woke up from a spiritual fog, basically. And he said, I don't know what I've been thinking the last few years. He said, I haven't been serious about my relationship with God. I haven't been, you know, serving the Lord like I used to. I haven't been um, trying to have a part of my child's life. And he said, I'm going to start doing all that. And he said his son did. His son got back into ministry. He got partial custody of the child. Uh, these different things. But he, his son said, two days ago, I woke up from a spiritual fog. That was exactly when his father had prayed. Now, I understand that the Bible says faith and patience. And so I understand there may be things that when it applies to somebody else, there may be things to work through. But we have to trust that when we go and pray and, and do that and speak the word, that until even if we don't see instant results like that man did, that we keep praising the word, whatever scripture the Lord to, told us to pray, that once we pray that, then we praise with that scripture on a, on a daily basis. And we're just praising God, praising God, praising God, praising God, and trust that God is working behind the scenes for you because he is a good God. And I will say, when I read that book, Sean and I prayed over two things. And... One of them, I had same-day results, and it was something that's been a five-year trial in my life. I had same-day results. The other one, we have not seen the manifestation yet, but the Lord has given us uh, words saying that it, it's in process. And so we trust, and we keep decreeing the word. And so there is great power in not judging there is great power in speaking life. And God wants us all to speak life. And so I'm going to close with that same scripture that I started with. And I want you to think very strongly about this. Proverbs 18.21 might be good for you to put this on a paper in the front of your Bible and read it daily to remind yourself to be speaking life over your health over your children, over your marriage, whatever the case may be, God has good plans for you. And he wants to help you get through any challenges that come your way. And, and one of the ways, I want to ask you, how did God create the world? He did what? He spoke it into existence. We are speaking spirits just like our Father in heaven. He spoke things into existence, and he made us to speak things into existence. And we need to be using it in the right way. Would you agree? So I'll close with this scripture, Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit.